स्थापका धर्म से सर्वधर्मस्वरूपिणे अवतारवरिष्ठा ते नमः वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणूरमर्दनम देवकी परमानंदम कृष्णं वंदे जगदुरु in the last class we were studying the 61st shloka the 61st verse of the second chapter of shrimad bhagavat gita where it is being indicated that the yogi restrains all the senses and remains intent on me by me bhagwan is actually indicating his spiritual dimension it's not the manusha will find much later in the chapter bhagwan will be saying that it is only the ignorant who thinks me as a human being it is a spiritual it is the lord who has incarnated so whenever by the word me is being indicated it is indicated the word me indicates it is the lord who has incarnated as sri krishna he is not manusha he is not a human being he is the spirit he is the lord of the universe it is he who has manifested through that framework so when the yogi keeps that in awareness doesn't try to develop just a human relationship with him so that me is very significant so the yogi who has restrained all his senses there is two aspect and the second aspect is remains intent on me focused on me so as we were indicating these are the two aspects of our spiritual life which defines our entire spiritual life abhyasa vairagya to keep your mind in lord that speaks of abhyasa practice we have to practice it doesn't come in a day and vairagya once for all when i have known that this world is after all not going to give me even a small tinge of happiness not even a small tint of happiness it is going to give me then why should i unnecessarily go on involving with it just the way a camel eats the thorny bush goes on bleeding still it's a thorny bush our condition is like that once we have understood the transience of the world and we have mentally resolved to be away from it and after that again and again going back to the world of the senses in the scriptures very strongly it has been condemned it is just like spitting and again licking your own spit you have you have just spit your spit or you have spit out you have resolved that i have nothing to do with it and then again you resolving you are licking your own spit so that's the idea of tani sarvani sangyamya yukta asita matpara So be focused on me, contemplate on me. Vashehi yasyendriyani. By those two practices, we can be ensured that in the long run, we will find that the control of the senses have become something habitual. I don't have to constantly fight with my senses. It has become habitual. And when it happens, what's the result? tasya pragya pratishtita you'll find that wisdom you have got established in wisdom in this life we will find all the tensions and turmoils up from the one who is sitting as the administrative head of the state or as the spiritual leader to the common mass 
The only cause of tension and turmoil is the lack of wisdom, our short-sightedness. From where it comes, it comes from our biases. Where, from where we develop the bias? From our attachment to the senses. All the bias develop. You will understand. Just the way the young person looks at the world is not the same way an old person looks at the world. For him, the senses have already become weak. The way he looks at the world and the young person when he looks at the world is totally different. What makes the difference? The bias. The young man with all the senses constantly chasing after the sense objects. He sees the world as a place of bhoga. And where the elder one who has already developed a sense of detachment because of age or whatever may be the reason, he will find the same person is now more compassionate. It is not his own bhoga he's thinking of. He's thinking of how he can be of help to others. The same world. What has happened? The biases are falling off. Maybe because of biological reason or maybe because the sangyama you are developing. So it is all that the example which we give again and again, that it is our bias which results in distorted vision. A stump of a tree lying on the corner of a park is envisioned in the twilight hours because of the lack of light as different by different persons as per their bias, as per their inclinations. A small child sees the mother, the child who is in search of mother sees the mother. The mother who is in search of the child sees the child. A police sees the thief, the thief sees the police, a lover sees the beloved. What speaks? It speaks of the inclinations, the biases which we have developed as per our inordinate attachment, clouds our vision. The same thing appears as many. To see the thing as it is speaks of wisdom. For that, all the attachments should fall off. But another example which we find is very, very applicable in this situation is Sri Ramakrishna's example of playing chess. Two are playing chess. The third is the onlooker. The one who is the onlooker will find is always says the correct step, the next step, what it should be. Those who are playing, they are fumbling again and again. What's the reason? Those who are playing, more than half of their mind is engaged in anticipation. Will I win? Will I lose? Expectation. I have to win. I shouldn't lose. Fear. If I may, I may lose. I may lose. So these, all these things, anticipation, expectation, fear, has clouded his intellect. He cannot focus on the game. The one who is just an onlooker, he has no expectations, he has no reason for anticipating, or he has no fear of losing. He's just a mere spectator looking intently at the game. And as his mind is clear from all those tendencies which develop from the biases, as the mind is not clouded, he can say the correct move. So that's why unless we can develop to certain extent a control over our mind and senses, we can never be unbiased. Our visions are bound to be clouded and that's the result of all the turmoils, tensions in the world. We developed innumerable black spots, blind spots in our mind because of all those biases. There cannot be pragya unless we develop this faculty of controlling our mind and senses and for which these two are the practices. Sangyama and Matpara. Be restrained, try to restrain your senses. At the very beginning, if I don't try to curb my senses, the mind is already disturbed. With a disturbed mind, I cannot think of contemplating on the Lord. So control the mind, make it tranquil, and then focus it to the Lord. So this two complements each other. These two practices has to go hand in hand. So 
that's the sloka which we were studying in the last class now how gradually we lose our integrity because of our inordinate inordinate attachment to the objects of the senses has been very very vividly described in the next two slokas the 62nd and the 63rd sloka the 62nd and the 63rd verse of the second chapter of bhagavad gita so how the very thought of the sense objects can result in total disintegration of our personality so we'll let us read those two slokas we'll read these together because it has a consequence it has a sequence so unless we read these two slokas together the sequence we will miss so we'll read these two slokas together to find out the sequence which bhagavan is indicating which the sequence of the mental procedures which at last results in the total disintegration of our personality so what are the slokas dhyayato vishayan umsaha sangaste sangasteshu pajayate sangat sanjayate kama kamat krodho bhijayate krodhat bhavati sammoha sammohat smriti vibhrama smriti bhrangshat buddhinasha buddhinashat pranashyati so what it is speaking of dhyayata vishayan punsah so first comes the contemplating on the objects of the senses first let us go to the literal meaning and then we will discuss a bit elaborately you are contemplating on the various objects of the senses from that what happens sangaste sangasteshu upajayate you develop a type of attachment towards them sangat sanjayate kama from that attachment develops a desire kamat krodho abhijayate and from desire comes anger we will come to the just the elaborate meaning of it bit later just first let us understand the sequence that first we are contemplating on the senses that is dhyayata vishan pungsa from that we develop a type of attachment from attachment comes the desire you may find the attachment and the desire are the same thing but they are not the same we will discuss it a bit elaborately from attachment comes desire from desire comes anger how the anger comes from desire when your ang- when your desire is not fulfilled all our anger comes when our desires are not fulfilled there is an something hindering something obstructing to op- attain the object of my desire then that krodha anger comes krodhat bhavati sammoha from anger the first thing that happens is your intellect gets clouded sammoha an infatuation is created sammohat smriti vibhram when your intellect is clouded smriti that's this memory is the second line of defense we have gone through various experiences of life previously and the consequences we have seen what that what are the consequences of acting in a particular way just previously also most probably we got angry and at last we found that it is we who are the losers in whatever form it may be the anger never helped us it always actually helped us to it always allowed it or actually forced us to regress in some way or other and i in my mind smriti that memory is there what's the memory anger is never justified <coughs> but you may so that in certain situation i have to show my anger I have to remember sri ramakrishna used to say hiss but don't bite don't pour the poison hiss when a snake is trampled over there's two different things it can go and bite you and kill you and it can just hiss to deter you from coming near it so sometimes i can make a show of anger but i need not be angry because that anger is harming me 
when someone has done something something wrong to me and my anger becomes habitual it is i we forget about our spiritual well-being our physical well-being gets affected at the very first i become a habitual angry person and it affects my blood pressure it affects my physical well-being it affects my health so anger is no way justified in whatever way the situation in life if i have to say something i can say the same thing calmly without losing my temper so what has happened that moha infatuation because of anger made me forget i took the resolution sometimes i have seen myself a very angry person in the table just below below the glass of his table has kept some what you say a note it's actually a sentence in some of the works of swami vivekananda that anger is never justified boldly it is written but situations comes sitting just in front of the writing we find him this totally has lost his temper he is at rage so that speaks of smriti vibhrama that in your memory it is there you have resolved i shouldn't get angry i have become habitually an angry person i should but the moment again that situation comes you develop krodha from that comes infatuation and that leads in smriti vibhrama you forget your that's there's a bewilderment of your memory confusion in your memory you forget what's in your mind and from that what happens smriti bhangshat buddhi nasha then your intellect gets destroyed the intellect is the decision making factor nischayatmika buddhi in a situation what to do what not to do there are two faculties of the mind this sankalpa vikalpatmak mana that how to act when i'm thinking the various options so it's to do or not to do or to do it in a different way kartum akartum anyatha kartum so these options are there as long as your mind is playing with those options it is a faculty of mana mind and that when as from that all those choice you have taken a decision with full conviction yes this is the way i should follow that speaks of buddhi so when your smriti is gone your buddhi is no more working so your discriminative faculty the intellect that has been destroyed and what will that result in is buddhi nashat pranashyati that you are ruined now that you will find that it has result in that previously my fight with a certain person has its own evil consequences and i resolved i shouldn't fight maybe in the office though i know the boss is sometimes very very irrational but i have to maintain my calm to really get the work done but again i forget most probably i have this uh, the second time third time this encounter and at last i find i am the one that who is uh, just facing the consequences of my anger it's not the question of being justified or not the question is being angry i didn't get the result out of it the result which i was thinking of i never got it and i myself also also have lost i didn't gain in any way so that speaks of pranashyati being ruined so now let us try to understand the entire sequence that first the word vishayan dhyayata vishayan punsa sangaste sangasteshu upajayate that what it is speaking of the vishayan is plural that when you are contemplating on a set of objects you develop attachment for a particular object throughout your life it happens when you have to buy a car car it's not that at the very beginning you decide which car you are going to buy you just see what all cars are the various models in the market so what you are doing you are contemplating on the various models so this speaks of contemplation on the various objects or set of objects if you have to buy a car then all the models of car if it's a laptop all the various models of laptop which are available if it's a clothing you go to the shop all the various types of clothing you are contemplating you are just going around or when you are in a restaurant 
from the menu. There are so many foods items are there, so many dishes there. You are just browsing through all of them. So dhyayata means it's browsing. You're browsing through all of them. Or when you have to have hire an employee, again you're browsing through all the profiles of the various applicants. Or even when you are developing a relationship, you're browsing through the various characters. So this is the thing which is the first thing which we do. That we go on browsing through this all the set of objects. From that, suddenly I will find a sense of mamatwa. Yes, this is mine. Of all those, you are yet to buy the car, but you have decided this is the one which is mine. So this Sangha, now the attachment has developed. From among all those, yes, I have fixed my attention to this. And that gives a sense of mamatwa. The Sangha has kept. And from that Sangha, the moment I think it is mine, now the desire to get it, it's still not mine. I have the desire to get it. That speaks of karma. Sangha is the mamatwa, that of all this, this is the one which is mine. That mamatwa speaks of the sangha. And now still I have to, I have to own it. That this to desire to own it speaks of karma, the desire. Now in this world we know that so many things we have developed mamatwa and then the desire to get it. And there are so many hindrances. There are so many factors which won't allow me to get it. And from that, the krodha comes, anger. You may say, no, I'm a very idealistic person. I am not, I have no attachment to anything, but I don't, I really get angry when I find that people are, uh, what do you say, that not uh, orienting their lives as per ideals. They, they seem to be very, very uh, earth, earthbound and very selfish, have no ideal in their mind, and I get angry. Where is the reason that of, for my anger you're saying from desire? Yes, there also the desire is there. You're tremendously attached to your doctrine, to your ism throughout the world. At present, the karma and this krodha, the biggest factor of krodha is not any material object. That my ism is the ism, which I think is going to do benefit to the world. And these people don't believe it. So slit his throat. Krodha. From your ism, that krodha is comes. <clears throat> that you have decided that my ism is the only ism. Among all, this is the one I have developed, mamatwa. From mamatwa, I have developed <clears throat> that a desire to be uh, with it and I find that throughout the world there is so much of hindrances <clears throat> and that krodha develops from that. Anger. <clears throat> from anger comes sammoha. Sammoha means this, this, the clouding of your intellect. There are so many faiths that think that ours is the only faith and that should be the only faith for the world. And for hundreds of years, they have found that the world cannot work in that way. It cannot work that way. There were so many repercussions and that the people do have their own faith, do have their in which they have belief. And <clears throat> in the name of making the world of one faith, what, has I have, what I have done, Within my own faith, I have created so many factions and I'm fine within myself. So that shows very well that, <clears throat> that this idea that one belief should rule the world <clears throat> can never be justifiable. In the name of ruling the world with one ideal, I myself create faction within my own group. And the maximum casualties are within that group. The country which says that ours is the only country, you find the maximum violence is going on within that people where the casualties are the own people. But this reason doesn't work because there is some moha because of the bias. The intellect has been infatuated. And constantly there is Smriti Vibhrama. The, they do have that memory that all these things for hundreds, not only one or two years, for hundreds of years, it is not working. What it has done has only created turmoil, tension, 
and has created an image of mine which is not very good for the entire world. But still, my memory doesn't work. It is totally that Smriti Vibhrama has happened. And from that, Buddhinasha. Buddhinashat Pranashyati. From Pranashyati, we don't have to explain. But a tremendous amount of bloodshed still is going on in the so-called civilized world in the name of religion. The religion which is supposed to bring peace. The one who all will be proclaiming that my faith is to bring peace, harmony. Where is the peace? Where is the harmony? In Australia, that's why we find that in gradually the number of people who doesn't belong to any faith, who profess to not to belong to any faith is increasing. Because that's the <clears throat> that's our tremendous attachment to faith. Forget about cars. We say this is a materialistic society. That we are extremely inordinately attached to the material things. They are not harming us the way our so-called idealism is harming us at present. Our attachment to our ideal, so-called ideal, which we think is the only ideal for the entire world. The way it is, if the entire world would have forgotten the ideal, so-called ideal, and would have attached to the worldly things, I think it would have been better. There wouldn't have been so much of bloodshed as it is going on in the name of religion. So this locus, when we are studying, it doesn't speak of just the laptop or the car or the clothing or certain particular menu in your restaurant. It's not restricted to that. It can be still a very, very strong passion if it goes toward the so-called ideal. So there we have to be very, very careful that anything it may be. If first what is happening, that among all the particular one, I think as if this is the thing which is mine. From that sense of mind, the desire comes. And from that desire comes the krodha, when it is a hindrance to it. From that, sammoha, the clouding of the intellect, sammohat, smriti vibhrama, all our memories washed up, it doesn't work. From that, buddhinasha, our intellect, we lose our discriminating faculty, buddhinashat, pranashyati. It leads to the disintegration of the person as well as of the society. If after all, we will find that it is not the logo of any one particular religion, that what? That as Swamiji used to say that our aim is Atmana Mokshartham Jagathitayacha, my own liberation as well as the welfare of the entire world. We will find with all our fanaticism, we are doing just the opposite. We disintegrate ourselves and disintegrate the world. And that's being spoken of here in these two slokas. So you will find that throughout this what a wonderful way, the entire psychology has been described in these two slokas. In any situation of life, whenever we find that we have developed anger from the anger we have lost or from the family violence to the international war. Everywhere, this is the same equation which works. Whether it is your domestic violence, family violence, family disintegration, or it's, it's the war among the states, wherever you go, war among the nations, fight within the nations in the form of riot, civil war. You find this is the only this, uh, sequence through which our mind is going through, which at last results in the disintegration. So if thinking of the objects leads to suffering, the next question is that we understood that what leads to suffering. The question is what leads to peace? That throughout the world, it's, there's, uh, it's very easy uh, to indicate the suffering, but what's the way out? So Bhagavan, after indicating the way our mind is constantly fooling us, so he will now indicate that what's the way out of it. So before that, we should always remember that Smriti is like a second line of defense in our, in our life. I still remember when I was in 
posted to Arunachal Pradesh. It's a tribal belt. So, and when I was posted to a school there, it was, they were the first generation or second generation learners. Means education, the so-called academic education was not there. And very nicely, I was introduced that when you are going to the school, what type of the students you are going to deal with, with a very senior monk who already had an experience of dealing with the students in the tribal belt. He told, you know, what's the difference between the students who are from so-called educated family and these students who are the first generation learners. You know what's the basic difference? Then I told intelligence, well, no, they too are quite intelligent. It's not intelligence. The one that's the, the main thing which you will find they're very difficult is that they don't have the second line of defense. Education gives us the second line of defense in the form of do's and don'ts. That's not there. Very nicely he told that you will find these boys are very calm and quiet. They love nature because they have grown up with the nature. You'll find them spending hours sitting quietly in the nature. You appear, they appear to be so divinely. And suddenly you find when for some small reason they get angry, they just go to the opposite pole. Immediately they lose all their temper. They don't know what to do. They can go to any extent. And you are at, you, you get baffled that this is the boy whom I thought to be saying like so divinely, what has happened to him? But education gives us the second line of defense. What happens? That the do's and don'ts, this is not there in his memory, which we get not only from our own experience, that knowledge comes through precepts. When you are in school, when you are growing up in a so-called educated family, the parents, they with their precepts, their experience has got converted into precepts, into prescriptions. There's a saying in English that, that uh, is a fool learns through experience. The wise learn through precepts. So those are the precepts which we got. To give an example of the precept that there, no other being can have precepts. It's only human being we can have because we can retain the knowledge. Just suppose a chimpanzee died by falling on his quicksand. It got immersed in it. The chimpanzees, all the succeeding generations are also bound to die if they just fall on the quicksand. But as a human being, if there is a place, there's a belt of quicksand, just one notice is required. You keep a signage, don't move ahead. And that will work for generations. We need not have to commit the same mistake because we learn through the precepts. And when you go to some, this, the, uh, this, <clears throat> this pr primitive type of society where this education process has not started, they can be very nice person, but as these precepts are not there, the second line of defense in the war, when the battle is going on in the front line, the, as a war policy, each and every country will have a reserve. That when the front line is, they won't send all the army to the front line. All few, of course, a, a big batch of army has to go and fight in the front line, but they make it sure there should be someone in the reserve behind. By chance, the front line breaks up because the opposing army may be too strong. Now, they shouldn't enter the mainland directly and just jeopardize the entire administrative setup of that country. There are second, third lines of this army there to encounter. That's the very common, uh, what you say, this, the defense uh, policy for any country. It's not that all will be going out in the front line. <clears throat> so this, for us, our Smriti is the second line of defense. That sometimes in, our, in particular situations of life, we get lured to do certain things. And then the Smriti comes, no. We get that if I do, I will face the consequences. So if that Smriti is not working, then what happens? That as we told, as a human being, we have that faculty. 
Others don't have, as Sri Ramakrishna says, the camel feeds on thorny bushes, it bleeds, still continues. Not only that, I still remember in school, we did an experiment. A T-shaped glass uh, channel was there. T-shaped where you can just see, it's transparent. You can see what's going on within that, all this T-shaped channel, glass channel. In one of the legs, some uh, moist, on the moist soil, some food for the earthworm was kept. An earthworm was kept on the second leg of the T. And the third leg of the T was kept empty. The T has three legs. So in one leg, the earthworm there was there. It's very small. It's a very small T. So in the one leg, there is some moistened soil with some uh, food for the earthworm. But it was very mildly, uh, uh, means uh, there was an electric connection, very mild voltage was fixed to it. So the earthworm, if it comes there, it will get the shock, but it won't die. It won't be electrocuted, but the shock will ripple it. And the third arm was empty. In three days, more than 200 trams, the earthworm went towards the moist soil to have its food and came back getting the mild shock never for once going towards the empty tea or staying here. To what that, why that experiment was done? Just to uh, that ha have that observation that they lack memory. There's no memory. They go on doing the same thing. So for us in our life, that's the same issue. The more our smriti is always uh, there, prominent in our mind, the more we are integrated. If out of anger that Smriti is lost, everything is lost. All, this, that all the experiences which we have developed, not as a person, even as a, the entire society, the entire society has its own experience in the form of precepts. That should also be in my memory. That's why we find very nice that when Swami Sharadarandaji was in the West, after a lecture, when the question answer session was there, the first question was asked. He was for the first time in the West, and he was, he was facing such type of uh, this situation for the first time in his life. Swami Vivekananda impelled him, forced him, just go and just address the students. And not only that, even you have to conduct the question answer session. And in that, we find that as he's a man of wisdom, he's a realized soul. They don't have to prepare notes. The answer comes spontaneously. So when the question was asked, what is life? Even with all our intellectual base, with all the foundation, it's very difficult to answer this question, what is life, in one line. And we find Swami Shardhan and the just thought a little and told a very nice, just replied very nicely in one line. What is life? It is chain of experiences, a chain of experience. What a wonderful answer. That's what life is. One after one other, the experiences are coming. That's the life. And immediately the next question was, what is the aim of life? Again, in one line, he's giving a wonderful reply that he's not speaking of God or anything. Very universal answer. What is the aim of life? To learn from those experiences. Life is nothing but a chain of experiences. Aim of life is to learn from those experiences. That learning from the experiences speaks of smriti. That smriti vibhrama which happens when you get angry. So we that learn and try to be composed in situations of life. That that what you have learned is not clouded. So that you act at a particular situation that your decisions should be based on the smriti. If the smriti is gone, your decisions are also gone. So based on your smriti, the memory, you can take the decisions. Otherwise, our condition is no good than the so-called animal. They never learn from the, the situations, as we were saying. If one has fallen on the quicksand, all are going to fall on the quicksand. There's no question of precepts. So as a human being, we do have that. And unless we use that faculty, we are the one who will be just as uh, in the same pitiable condition as the other creatures are. 
we should know it for certain that we have evolved as a human being just for a very different reason the entire evolution was going on just how just to add muscles over the muscles to have more strength and we evolved because we added neurons to our brain the animals were evolving by becoming stronger and we became smarter not stronger animals are much animals are there we are more strong than us we became more smart we are smarter and that speaks of the smriti that speaks of the buddhi and if because of habitual rage that is lost everything is lost so now what leads to peace that's what we spoken of in the 64th sloka ragadvesha vyuktastu vishayan indriyaischaram atmavashyair vidheyatma prasadam abhigachati raga dvesha vyukta so by freeing yourself from likes and dislikes raga speaks of attachment it speaks of likes dvesha speaks of hatred which speaks of dislikes the stronger likes and dislikes we have the more uh, that we are vulnerable the more stronger and um, the more strong likes and dislikes the more vulnerable we are to the situations of life so come out of this groove of likes and dislikes raga dvesha vyuktastu vishayan indriyaischara so we cannot run away from the life we have to be with this world <clears throat> the so called objects which lure me will be there in front of me if i can avoid well and good but you can we cannot avoid we will find the situ- that the situation doesn't allow us we have to be with the so called things which with to which we are feeling we are drawn towards and there will be things with which from which we have hatred we cannot just simply create a ghetto and stay this life hey have to interact the world is becoming global more and more multicultural where we cannot stay aloof so vishayan indriyesh charan we have to be with there and these all these objects will be there so i cannot say i do not like it so this thing should be shouldn't be in my vicinity so vishayan indriyesh charan speaks of that when i am with the vishaya with the objects with animate as well as inanimate there are so many beings of various cultures whom i say i don't like but i have to be with them you cannot just simply because of a like and dislike avoid them but there atma vashyair vidhe atma in spite of traveling in spite of interacting with the so called objects of the senses these objects may be animate as well as inanimate one who is controlled he has attained prasadam the real peace if all our ideals is meant for peace and the real peace if you have to attend that's the only way raga dvesha vyuktastu the world won't change a man of self control this vidhe atma speaks of the one who is self controlled even when he is moving among the objects with his senses he is always under restraint and free from attachment and hate and such a person alone can attain the serenity of mind so we have to be <clears throat> beyond the <clears throat> grips of likes and dislikes <clears throat> what it is actually speaking of it speaks of developing immunity that i cannot get read of just take our physical health the virus the microbes will be there however i try i cannot get rid of them and they are also a part of <clears throat> this this biodiversity in certain way their existence uh, is essential if we even if we think of total getting rid of microbes it will disturb the total biodiversity they have to be there but what uh, then how can i just can i just keep myself enclosed in a room 
which is totally sterilized. I cannot stay there throughout my life. I have to move out. Then what's the way out? You have to develop immunity. Similarly, as far as psychic well-being is concerned, there's our emotive faculties. With the emotive faculties, there may be so many likes, dislikes, things which we don't like. We will be moving around. But we have to develop that immunity that not to be affected by the likes and dislikes. So this is the thing, dvesha and this raga dvesha, attachment and hatred, the more we can come out of it, the more integrated we are. Raga we understand that it really draws our mind. But hatred for the, the things which I don't like, what it speaks of, it speaks of negative attraction. The things which you hate, you will find what? The objects which I hate, sometimes I will find I am thinking of them more intensely than the object which I love. There's a very interesting story in our scriptures, the story of Jaya and Vijaya, the two gatekeepers of Vishnu. Very interesting story that they were the gatekeepers. So naturally, they were the one who will, uh, who will decide whom to allow to meet the Lord and whom not to allow. Now the four Kumaras, the, the first born from the, the, the first four children of Brahma, they are the ever Kumaras. They never grew. They were like as innocent as a small children. Why? When they were created, they were the one who were out of the matrix. They could easily see that the world is a projection. And Rama understood that that way you can never get them involved in the creation. If you know that it is a projection. So these foes were the ever pure. They never took part in the creation. So they are the, always these four Kumaras are the Brahmacharis. They move around the world detached. It's from them that Brahma then understood that I have to have the creation that whatever I create should be within the matrix. In the world of virtual reality, all the objects which are out of the virtual reality, they can easily find out that this is an object of virtual reality. But the characters within the virtual reality, for them, it is very difficult. They cannot find out. So now Brahma created the creation within the matrix that all should be within that matrix. So we need not go to the philosophical discussion here. The real thing here is this, this four Kumaras, the eternal pure ones. They looked like small boys. They never grew to the adulthood, but they were all wise, spiritually illumined. So they move around. So they came to meet Vishnu and these gatekeepers, Jaya, Vijaya, thinking them to be small boys, couldn't recognize them, didn't allow, thinking quite unnecessarily uh, that disturb my Lord. These boys will be going and just disturbing my Lord. So these Kumaras got angry and because they were intently uh, desiring to meet the Lord Vishnu and they cursed that you are not uh, that uh, what you say they're capable enough to be the gatekeepers because you are the one who are supposed to that decide whom to allow and who not to allow and just you're not allowing us who are the ones who are so devoted to the Lord. So they curse that you will lose your position as the gatekeeper of Vishnu and you will have to be, you have to take birth as human being. And after, after you exhaust your karma there, then again you come back. So now this <clears throat> two guard came to know who they are. <clears throat> now they were repenting that what we have done. Now we have already been cursed by these four Kumaras. In the meantime, Vishnu also came. And after hearing about the entire situation, he told these four Kumaras are extremely powerful. Even I don't have the power to take away their curse, what they have cursed. But I can give you an option. What's the option? That as human beings, you have to take birth. That's for sure. But if you take birth as my devotee, you have to be born seven times. And if you are born as my enemy, only three times. So you choose. So naturally, obviously, they wanted to be with the Lord quickly and they chose to be the enemies of the Lord. 
and that's how we find that in the first birth, in the first birth, they became Hiranyaksha, Hiranyakashipu. In the next, it was that Ravana and Kumbhakarna, and in the third, it was the Shishupala, and uh, most probably uh, this um, the Kar yeah, or Kamsa. So in the in the Krishna avatar. So all this after having these three uh, births as human beings, they again went back. What is the intent of the story that? that hatred is not opposite of love. It is actually a type of love. Why? Because the object which you love, you constantly think of. The object which you hate, you are intently thinking, more intently. But as you think of it more intently, that's why only three births was required. For a devotee, it was seven births. For an enemy, it was only three births was required to get mukti. So opposite of a, this a love, or attachment is not hatred. It is actually indifference. So when I have to be indifferent to the, the things which I find is not in any way helping me is something which is wayward. So don't relate to this the things which you think unholy through hatred. Be indifferent to them. And when I develop this attitude of indifference, whether it is an object of my love or of my hatred, I'm unattached. Then only you can think of having the tranquility of mind. If constantly my mind is disturbed by the likes and dislikes, how can I have that prasadam, which has been spoken of here, that prasadam abhigachati, adhigachati, that you attain that when you have the control over your mind and over your senses, and you are not carried away by the likes and dislikes, you attain that tranquility. The tranquility is the thing which is very, very important for our spiritual progress, even for our own personal well-being. So you know, Swami Vivekananda in his lecture in one place has told a very interesting, funny story that a mosquito was sitting on the horn of a bull. And suddenly the mosquito felt bad that most probably I'm annoying the bull sitting on its horn. So he told, he asked, do I annoy you? I'm sitting here on your horn. And the bull replied, no matter, you can bring your entire family. You can bring your entire family because in the horn, there is no such sensation. So he said, you can come. So that's the idea that indifference is that, that even if they're present, all the things are present, you don't get in any way affected by them. So situations, we can never get this, uh, we can never avoid the situations of life. We have to be somehow bigger than the so-called circumstances of life. To grow, to transcend them. As there is a nice story in the life of Gautam Buddha. When someone came and reported Buddha that such and such person is vehemently criticizing you. Buddha never reacted. And this man told you, don't you feel that, the, uh, that uh, he's harming your mission. Buddha, instead of replying uh, directly, he told that suppose someone that uh, presents you a gift and you don't accept it, to whom that gift belongs. So the man thought a little and told, yes, of course, the one who was presenting the gift, if it is not accepted, it remains with him. So Buddha says, I don't accept what he's giving me in the form of censor, in the form of criticism, whatever he's giving me, I don't accept to whom it belongs. Still the man didn't understand. He told, but he's criticizing you so much. And then the next example Buddha gives, Buddha says is, be the sky. That has something to do with this look, be the sky. And then again, the man asked, what do you mean? Well, if you try to spit on the sky, what will happen? The spit falls on you. So be the sky when you are indifferent to the so-called likes and dislikes of life. You transcend them. All the things which are there to defile me cannot defile me anymore because I have grown above the circumstances. As yeah, this is a very, uh, there's a common way of explaining that to transcend the circumstances that a teacher draws a line, straight line in the blackboard yeah, and asks the students, can you 
just shorten the line without touching it. The students never knew. A small intelligent student, he comes and draws a line parallel to that line without touching. He's not touching that line. And a longer line parallel to that line. What's the wonderful way? Without touching this line, by drawing a line parallel to that line, which is longer, this line becomes shorter. So this line has not been in any way touched, but it has become shorter just by drawing a line longer than that. So to grow beyond the likes and dislikes is that. How is it possible? By having developing an attachment to the Lord. The more you get aligned with your spiritual dimension, the more you develop the faculty of having communion with the Lord. The others, this world of this, this uh, so-called polarities, they simply fall off. They are there. They're in no way going to affect you because you have grown bigger than the circumstances. You have transcended. That's what is fine in the story of Hanuman and the same idea. When the situations were such that it was uh, a big challenging situation for him, that he was asked to get the uh, this Sanjivani, that Lakshmana was about to die, he was lying unconscious. And the only way to save him was to get the herb, a particular herb, the Sanjivani, from a huge mountain, the Gandhamadan Parvat. And Hanuman was dumbfounded. He never knew where to get it. And what he did, he became, this is because of his love for the Lord. He was Yukta Asita Matpara, his love for the Lord gave him that faculty to become bigger than the problem. He became bigger than the mountain and kept the mountain on his hand and just came with the entire mountain from where the, the physician got the exact herb and uh, healed Lakshmana. So what the story says again, the same thing, to grow bigger than the circumstances. All the problems of the life are there. It is not that you have got rid of them. They are still there, but you have grown above them by developing detachment from these polarities of life, which comes in the form of likes and dislikes. So what actually, why is it Bhagavan has suddenly introduced this topic? So we should remember that Arjuna asks three questions. That what are the signs and symptoms of a man who is established in wisdom? Sthita pragya sakabhasha samadhistasya keshava sthitadhim kim prabhasheta. The first question was how he speaks. That was spoken of in the previous slokas. Kim asita kim prabhasheta kim asita. That when he's not uh, interacting with the world, he's with himself, he's just sitting how he behaves, what are the signs and symptoms. And the last question was Vrajetakim, that when he's interacting with the world, mixing up with the world, what is what are the signs and symptoms by which I can understand his state in wisdom. So this is the sloka. But I cannot remain in my capsule of meditation always. I have to come out, interact with the world. There will be the so-called apparent likes and dislikes. How have to behavior in this world <clears throat> that's the thing, the Brajetakim, when you're interacting, that's being answered in this sloka. The world will be there. Your spiritual unfoldment speaks of your spiritual immunity, psychological immunity. You can easily rise above that. And the world continues like the dog's curly tail to be always curly, but it in no way affects you. You have attained that tranquility, the prasadam. That's the thing which Bhagavan indicates in this sloka. So in this verse, it has been mentioned that the person who has gone beyond the likes and dislikes, he attains serenity. The next verse, which we will take up again in the next class, will describe what happened when one attains such serenity. There are two aspects of it, that prasada, and we will find that he develops uh, it, <clears throat> what you say that pragya, 
that wisdom, that tranquility and wisdom. These are the two things which results from transcending the so-called polarities of life. That will be described in the next sloka, which we will again take up in the next class. Thank you all. Namaskars.